Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Really glad you guys are here. Excited to go into this Advent season with you. I have a couple of quick announcements for you before we get into it. Uh, but my name is Drake. I'm a pastor here. It's an honor to have you gathering with us in person and online. And listen, if you're a first-time guest, so glad you're here. No matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, you are loved, safe, and welcome. Our mission here is to help people find their way to God from where they are. We do that by practicing the way of Jesus together in Boulder. And so wherever you are on your spiritual journey, our, our desire is simply to meet you where you are and help you take some next steps, hopefully toward Jesus. So really, really glad that you're here. A couple of quick announcements for you as we get into it today. Our team Christmas party is in two weeks, and so if you are a part of the team here at City Church, you join the team, you serve on the weekends. By the way, can we put our hands together for all of our incredible people that serve on the weekends? Put your hands together. They're watching your kids. They got the coffee ready. They met you in the cold outside, all of that. Vacuum the floors, clean the toilets, you know, all those fun things. So, hey, our team Christmas party is in two weeks. If you're on the team here at City Church, you signed that document. You should have already received the invite via text. It's an evite. People are like, I didn't get it. You got it. It's there. I promise. Unless, actually, I was just talking to somebody. They have like one of those old school flip phones. You might not have got it. So <laughs> let me know. If you don't have it, let us know. We'd love to have you as we celebrate. We like to celebrate big around here. And so Christmas time in two weeks, we'd love to celebrate our team just for all the hard work they do to pull off every uh, incredible thing we experience here at City Church. So that's just a quick announcement. You guys cool with that? Feel good? All right, next up. Um, I'm really excited to let you guys know about our City Church Christmas offering. Um, this offering is a very intentional effort, kind of in this season, just infamously known for consumerism and materialism and commercialism. I think there's a big part of our hearts that leans into the desire and the practice of generosity, especially as Jesus followers. But I think in the world around us, generosity does this cool backward switch on our hearts of getting us away from consumerism and toward making a difference. And so I think there's a big part of all of us that long for that. And so we have our City Church Christmas offering that we want to invite you to consider giving toward. And this has a spe special focus of impacting Boulder, the West, and the world. And so we currently have 10 partners, both uh, um, kind of along the front range in Chicago and around the world, church planters and missionary partners that we uh, uh, already support on a monthly basis. And so we want to have increased continued support for them. Actually, put your hands together. Bryson and Sarah are in the room. There are church planters in Broomfield right down the street. If you don't know them, you haven't seen their faces, uh, um, our prayer room uh, from like a couple of months ago is right here on the back side of the auditorium, and you see their faces cycle through, and now they've added a baby to the mix, and so they are here in Broomfield, and we're really grateful to partner um, with incredible people like them, as well as all around the world, and so we want to continue to invest in our partners as they plant churches in our feeding center in the Philippines, and all kinds of different stuff around the world, so uh, this offering goes toward that, and it also goes toward some outreach and generosity initiatives in our city in 2024, and so so this offering is totally dedicated to all of those things. Our goal is to raise $10,000 between now and uh, the end of the year to go toward our efforts in 2024, both in around the world and again in Boulder. So those two special areas, really excited to, to invite you, really three things um, to help you wrestle with. Number one, um, I, I'd invite you to reflect 
um, just on the impact of, of City Church in your life, what God has done in and through this community, um, how he's worked, even if you're brand new or you've been here for a while, just take some time to reflect and let that fill you with gratitude. And then from there, I want to invite you to pray. Um, the cool thing about my job is it's not my, my job to like ask you to give money to anything. We t- say it all the time, like, hey, you don't just give to a church, you give through a church. And so I get to invite you to pray, you get to ask God, and then you just get to do what he tells you to do. Is that cool? That's, that's pretty, that, that makes it a little easier. And so I'm going to invite you to just pray as you reflect, and lastly, to invest in the City Church Christmas offering. And every little bit makes a difference. And again, it goes toward those, those two unique initiatives, both in Boulder and in the West and the world, church planting and then outreach um, and generosity initiatives in 2024. So that's our City Church Christmas offering. You can give online. Um, you can uh, use the envelopes and the seat bikes in front of you, however you'd like to do it. But I want to invite you into that. And last but not least, today is the kickoff of Advent, which is... Um, I'll just be honest with you. So I met Jesus at, like, right before my 16th birthday. And the tradition, like, kind of circles that I met Jesus in, that there wasn't any kind of talk or even celebration around the ideas of Advent and Lent and things like that. I thought Lent was something that was in your belly button. I didn't know it was like, you know what I'm saying? I was brand new to Jesus, guys. So then Advent, really, we never, no, no one ever talked about it. I mean, I mean, for the first, I don't know, 10 years of me following Jesus. And so, um, Advent is, is the four Sundays leading up to uh, or the month of December, kind of reflection. It literally means arrival or coming, and, and it is literally celebrating the coming of Jesus into the world. And so it's not as complicated as it sounded when I was brand new to it all. Um, but what I want to invite you into is, as a church, we try to do different practices together because they form us. So, so the teachings and the Instagram feeds and the exposure that we have around the world, that forms our hearts and minds. The communities that we live life with, that forms our hearts and minds, and then the practices that make up our life, whether they're intentional or not, they form our lives. And so I want to invite you into an Advent fast starting tomorrow, going through December 4th through the 24th, so all the way up to Christmas Eve. And um, there's different definitions that we've used for fasting. If you've never fasted, this is a great intro for you as we go into the season, but I want to get it on your heart and mind now so that you can begin to think about it starting off tomorrow on Monday and then share it with your city groups, all of that stuff. But a fast is very simply giving up something that we love to pursue what we love even more. Um, And specifically, this is our our relationship with Jesus. Um, And so a traditional fast, this is the one I'm going to be doing. I'll talk about it a little more at the end, um, would be fasting from food. And the rhythm we normally press into is like a Wednesday and a Friday. So we're not asking you to fast for 20 days, no food. Let's go. All the Christmas parties are just going to suck. You're going to be in the corner just sad and droopy and everyone else is partying it up. No, it's not that, okay? So, uh, and you're welcome to adjust it. This is just a suggestion, okay? So for me, the rhythms will be uh, sun up to sundown, Wednesdays and Fridays through December 24th for me. Um, and so no food. And again, it's creating hunger. I, I love uh, John Piper's definition, whole body hungering for God, that I create a hunger inside myself and then I point that that desire and that hunger toward God. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But that's one way. Another way to do it would be you can give up something for the season of Advent. So it might not be food for you or if you have health-related issues or um, if this is just one of those conversations where it's not really wise for you to give up food, whatever you are, you know, your mom and your breastfeeding, all those different things, you got to do what's wise. But you can give up something for the season of Advent. So this might be that you delete social media from uh, your, your phones and you be present to the people and the season around you 
Um, and every time you get that little itch to pull your phone out of your pocket and look at a feed, you're like, oh, there's nothing there. And so then you look at the person in front of you instead. You know, it's really cool. Or you might give up consumerism, right? You might uh, put a pause on all the things that you want to buy for yourself when all the deals are striking. You say, you know what? I'm not going to buy anything for myself these next 20 days. and I'm going to focus on others or whatever it is. You might give up your favorite Netflix series or like Monday through Friday, I'm not going to watch any Christmas movies. It's only on the weekends, right? Whatever. You just be creative. The idea is... If you don't love broccoli, giving up broccoli is not really fasting. Is that you guys tracking with me? You're like, oh, I'm making a real sacrifice for Jesus here. That's not it. And listen, this is not to cultivate like, oh, God loves you more when you fast. That's not that. That's not this at all. A fast is the intentional practice of you and I limiting something in our lives to where it creates a hunger and we point that hunger toward God. That's all that it is, okay? You don't get a gold star for fasting and you're not gonna be forced to it. It's an invitation. You guys tracking with me? All right, we'll talk more about it at the end, but I, but I needed to get it on the radar now. So you can look at our, our social media platforms and all of that as well. We'll be sending the info out, but it starts tomorrow, okay? All right, so as we get into this new series, the next four weeks, I am so excited. It ends with Christmas Eve. Really excited to be celebrating with you as we go into this season of Advent. And again, it means arrival. So the season of Advent is one where we create space in our lives to reflect on the arrival of Jesus. And then it's also one where we allow that reflection to uniquely shape us as Jesus followers. And if you're new to kind of Jesus or the church or you're, you've walked away and you're coming back or you've kind of walked away and stayed away or you're just not sure where you land with all of that, this is actually a really helpful season for you as we have these conversations. So I'm really excited to, to walk in. So let's start with Cinderella, because that makes sense. Um, once upon a time, that, that's, I think, for some people, when the Jesus story comes around, it's, it's another once upon a time. And so it's easy to come to the story of Christmas and to come to the story of Jesus, and it sounds like another once upon a time. And we like the Disney movies and the once upon a times because there's normally a moral for your life and something to walk away with, and that's great. But the Advent season and the Christmas story is a little different than a once upon a time. So let's look, let's look at the Christmas story. We're just going to read it. Are you guys cool with that this morning? Luke chapter 2, it'll be on the screen. Also, the Bibles and the seatbacks in front of you are our gift to you. Luke chapter 2, let's just kind of look at this once upon a time, if you will, and see how it lands and how it feels. So in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Already a sweet once upon a time, right? It's not clunky at all. You ever, your kid time, kids' bedtime stories and Caesar Augustus did it. Quirinius did a governor of Syria. It kind of sounds a little more like a news report than like a once upon a time. You guys tracking with me? So just pay attention to that. Let's go on. Um, Luke tells us, and, and again, Luke is like this doctor, super analytical, capturing the data for you of the story of Jesus. He says, so they go to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths or clothes. You got an E in there for clothes, don't you? It's cloth. Heads up, grammar 101. And laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Luke goes on and tells us in verse 8, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy 
that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And Luke goes on and tells us, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And Luke goes on. He tells us that when the angels went away from them into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that they had been told them concerning this child. And then Luke wraps it up and says, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Luke's story sounds a little bit more like a news report than a once upon a time. Would you agree? Lots of details. It's not as fancy as maybe we'd like it to be. The morals maybe a little harder to draw out here. I think a lot of people would like the Jesus story to fall into the once upon a time category. It makes it easier to approach in the season. But as we look at this news, he said it's good news. And it's one of the things we wrestle with for you and I as we approach this season. Okay, that it's news is one thing. What do you do with news? When you hear a news report, it's just information. Here are the facts. Your job is to take that news and do something with it. What you do with it is of, of your own volition. No one's forcing that news on you. But in Luke's opinion, this is good news of great joy for all people. And that's the message that the angels carried to these shepherds, these nobodies in the middle of nowhere. And so for you and I, we have the privilege of hearing news, and what we do with it is up to you and I. And this news is representing real-time facts. Caesar Augustus and Syria and Rome. It's all facts and dates and times. And this is a real historical event that happened, and what you and I do with that information is up to us. The point for Luke is something has indeed happened. I'm just letting you know. What you do with that information is up to you. Now, this is Luke's version, and maybe you've heard it before. But then there's John, and John is interesting because John was one of Jesus' best and closest friends, arguably maybe his, his best friend. And, and John is also one of the authors of these four gospel accounts of the life of Jesus that we have, and he also wrote some letters. And he takes this same news, this good news, this information, not only was he an eyewitness of it, but then he records it for us and gives it to us, and he takes this news report, and then he shares his personal experience, and his summary looks something like this in 1 John. After all of the, all of the news, he, he comes to the conclusion that God is love. So, so you go from this kind of black and white news report information about the birth of a Messiah, what do we do with all that, and then John in his summary, his conclusion over not only living life with Jesus, but watching his death, burial, and resurrection, and then later writing letters to the church to, to, to encourage them, his summary of all of this good news is God is love. And you and I might not be blown away by that, but this would have been scandalous news in the moment. This holy God, this out there God, this far away God has become personal 
has become near, has literally wrapped himself in flesh, set aside his divine attributes and carried love into the world. And then John, it's kind of interesting, rather than giving us the facts like Caesar and Bethlehem and angels and shepherds, John kind of zooms out on the Christmas story in his gospel accounts. Let me show you in John chapter 1 some of the things that, that he notices. He says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So this is the story account from John as he zooms out, the true light. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, God in the flesh being birthed into human history, the world did not recognize him. How interesting. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And John goes on. Children born not of natural descent, not of human decision or, or human will, but born of God. And the word became flesh. It's another uh, way of the scriptures talking about Jesus. The word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So I mean, this is kind of amazing. John's perspective on the, Christians, uh, on the Christmas story is he zooms out and he says, God, God is love, I'm convinced of that, and love became personal enough to live among you and I. Jesus made the God of love personal. Tyler Staten says it this way, God has undressed himself of all of his glory except for his love because it, because it is only love that can conquer the human heart. That's how Jesus steps onto the pages of human history. And this, listen, listen, this is so important. This love makes some people fall to their knees in worship and gratitude, and it makes some people scoff and turn their head and roll their eyes. It did it then, and it does it now. This God of love, this good news has always done that. And John says he came as a light, but the world did not recognize him. That's interesting. So, so, so one of the things that I've been wrestling with is as we go into the Advent season, as we start to fast together and we let this season be more than consumerism and commercialism and busyness and parties and exhaustion and we just fall into the new year and we have nothing to show for it, I've been reflecting on, okay, for this month, if Jesus came in as the light and the world did not recognize him, well, how, how often do I not recognize him as well? And I think if we are to see the light, to recognize the light, we also must first name and recognize the darkness to be able to distinguish between the two. So there are two categories, and I'm just kind of giving just this setup for the, for the month, okay? Two categories of problems that I personally face. You might not, that's okay, but I'll tell you what I struggle with, and you can either feel better about yourself or relate with me. Is that cool? All right, cool. So two categories of problems I face. Number one are the problems outside of me. Number two are the problems inside of me. The problems outside of me look a lot like you. That was a joke. That was a, it was a joke. It was a joke, guys. The problems outside of me are things like my nitpicky HOA that tells me what I'm allowed to do and not allowed to do, and they tried to get me to take down my treehouse for my kids that I built in the tree that's my tree. You know, there's, there's, it's the strut on my wife's van that needs to be replaced, and every time you go over a bump, it sounds like things are just falling apart. It's, it's, I haven't found it yet, but I'm pretty sure there's a leak in my bank account somewhere because it just continues. I don't know where it's at, but we're going to plug it soon. And right, those are the problems outside of me, and, and I deal with those outside problems primarily through blame shifting and control and things like that, and obviously there are much bigger problems 
outside of me, but just for the lighthearted nature, right? I, I tend to approach those things, blame, shift, kind of take control, and, and just try to work around them. But then there's these problems inside of me that are a little more frustrating, like ego and my anger and, and my lack of empathy. Um, th- this inability that I have to, to truly listen at times, especially to my wife, but also to others, and, and maybe even care enough to want to listen if we're being honest with my motives and, and kind of this overall preoccupation with, with myself, my personal comforts and my ambitions. Probably not you, but that's me. Um, and, and what I tend to do with this, this brokenness inside of me is, is I try to magnify one aspect of my life that's going really well. And I ask that area of my life to carry the weight of all of my importance and then hide all of the flawed, broken parts of me at the same time. And so I lean on things like career and appearance and my social life and what people think of me or whatever. Whatever was going well, I try to lean on those things. And, and I, I'm looking for a way to find affirmation and to make myself lovable. Now, I wouldn't say that in the moment and maybe even not acknowledge it, but those are just some of the motives under the surface. You guys tracking with me? Problems outside and inside of me. And, and really what I'm after is there's an effort deep inside of me to restore my deepest need for value, to find that acknowledgement that I'm worth something. And what's interesting is, is I often fail to go to the one who said I'm valuable in the first place. That's one of the issues that I have. So we've all got inside and outside problems. Could you agree? Okay, cool. Three of us too. The rest of you guys are going to have a great Christmas. So we've all got inside and outside problems. And, and, the, and I would argue that most of our outside problems are the result of inside problems getting on the outside. <laughs> you guys with me? A lot of our outside problems are the issues of other people's inside problems showing up on the outside. You're like, yo, keep that where it belongs. All right, so we have these inside and outside problems, and the scriptures give a name for these problems. The scriptures call it sin. And, and if that word has too much baggage for you, you know, depending on your past and where you've been and what you've heard, then, then replace the vocabulary. Call it brokenness. Whatever you want to do, that's fine. But let me, let me give you this. I would encourage you that if the word itself ha- has some baggage that keeps you from stepping into maybe something more that God has for you, that's fine. But we cannot afford to ignore the diagnosis of that word brokenness, whatever you want to call it, the problems inside of us that manifest outside of us. You see, properly understood, sin is not an accusation. It's not condemnation. It's not feel really bad and do a little better. It's, it's not trying to muster up your own worthiness. Sin is simply an honest diagnosis of the reality of the condition of my heart. And just like if I go to the doctor, the more clearly I can describe my symptoms, the more clearly I can receive a diagnosis. And we find out as we begin to step toward Jesus that the problems that I struggle with, they have a name and they have a solution. And one of the problems, and you probably know this, one of the problems of pretending that, that I'm healthy is that I miss out on the opportunity to be whole. So Jesus came as love. God is love. John's personal experience. In the flesh, I saw him. Jesus came as love, not to bring judgment, but to bear judgment on himself. Not to impose order, but to take disorder on himself. Not simply to diagnose, but to bring healing to that which is named. And Jesus came with a love so strong that you and I could never earn it or deserve it. That's one of the problems. And see, the problem with sin is not that God has a tight moral grid and that if you color inside the lines, he'll love you a little more. 
The problem with sin is it gets in the way of love. It gets in the way of you and I giving love. It gets in the way of you and I receiving love. It gets in the way of you and I recognizing love. And so into human history steps love personified. And most people don't even notice. And what this means is there are massive personal and social implications that follow this Christmas story and this God of love. And the first that we've already done is God is, God is love. I mean, that's, that's John's big idea. But then not only that, God is with us. That is profound. Emmanuel, God with us. Not only is God love and out there, but he's personally steps into the pages of human history. Me and my boys are, uh, have been watching Narnia um, it's Christmas season and the lamppost and the, you know, all that. So um, it's been a minute since I've seen any of those movies. So we watched number one and you know, it's got a little creepy. So they're like just old enough to watch it, some of those moments, but it was cool. Like they're digging number one. We were watching Prince Caspian last night and uh, I was exhausted from the weekend. So about halfway through, I've got my head back snoring out loud and Grayson's bumping me, dad, you're snoring. I'm like, sorry. But then he wakes me up right in the moment when it gets kind of cool, right? I'm like, all right, perfect. I'm back. I'm back. And, and I, don't remember, I don't really don't remember much about Caspian at all, um, and I've not read that one in particular, so don't ju- judge me for watching movies and not reading the books. But um, there's this moment where they're back in Narnia, the kids, they, 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 they've been gone for a while, they're back, and they don't know where Aslan is. And, and if you're not familiar with Narnia's story, Aslan represents Jesus, it's really cool, amazing, amazing story. But they're like, man, where's Aslan? We don't know. And everything's kind of falling apart. Things are broken. And then Lucy's the youngest girl and, and they're, they're trying to cross this river and she's like, I see Aslan. And then, and then no one else like sees her. And she looks back and then she's like, what did I see? And she thought she saw him and she doesn't see him. And, and everyone doubts her. You don't, no, you didn't see it. And so then they try their own way to get around this river. It doesn't work out. They come back and then sure enough, what she saw was Aslan leading them down a path to get them across this river. So it's a cool moment. But then she, she has a dream, and she hears this whisper of her, of her name over and over again. And so then she follows the whisper, and it's Aslan calling her name. And then when she gets to him, she says, hey, you're bigger than you were last time. And he says something interesting. He said, as, I, as you grow, I grow. And at first I was like, what? <laughs> I don't understand what that means. And then as I began to sit in, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, hold on. So I think what, what, what C.S. Lewis is trying to communicate is the more that you see me, the bigger that I am. Or maybe a, a better way to see it, say it is, you're going to find me bigger the more that you look for me. Or rather, you're going to see how big I really am the more that you look for me. I've been big all along, and you're just seeing more and more of me as you focus more on me. Now, it's, a, it's an incredible moment. She wakes up from this dream, and then her older sister says, you saw Aslan, didn't you? She's like, you believe me? Like, yeah. And then she asks the question. She, she says, what? why can't I see him? And then Lucy's got this cool, like, kind of innocent childlike faith thing going on. And she's like, maybe you're not looking. I was like, dang. <laughs> Mic drop. Let's go. Like, so, so it's interesting. We have this story from Luke. The social implications are massive from this God of love. God born in the flesh, God with us. The most important thing to ever happen in the history of humanity has happened, and hardly anyone has noticed. 
The priests kept rolling, doing their temple thing. The markets kept selling, and Black Friday was around the corner. Rome kept conquering like nothing had even happened. And Jesus comes quietly and humbly, and most people are far too busy and self-important to even notice. And then there's this angelic choir that gives front row tickets to this scene, but just a few, and it's not who you'd expect. It's shepherds in a field. There's way more important people, way more credible people that could have been given the task of sharing the news, but this awesome choir of angels shows up to the night shift shepherds. And they say, we've got some good news of great joy for all people. Now, you and I have this kind of you know, Home Alone-esque, nice manger scene out front of shepherds, and it's kind of nice, but shepherds were not favorable. In fact, they had terrible reputations. One commentator said that they were, they were considered so spiritually contaminated that they weren't even allowed in the temple. And so this news comes beautifully articulated from angels and, and is shared with some simple rural shepherds. And the news will go from this amazing articulation of angels to the draw of some shepherds in a field being spread around. God chooses in this moment someone unproven and unqualified to get the good news out. And this has massive implications for you and I. You see, the trouble of sin is it gets in the way of love. And Jesus comes with a greater love than you and I can imagine that, that we honestly have to fight to believe and receive and the shepherds are no different. This love is apparent through the very cast that God chooses to get the word out. Some shepherds in a field and a peasant girl in a small, from a small town in a manger. That's how God arrived. And this love, the point is that God's, this God of love starts there. And this love, it disrupts our cheap ideas of, of what value and worth look like. It, it disrupts wealth and success and status and it gives incredible grace and love and dignity to everyone. And this begin, ah, this does something in me. It makes me marvel at the very wide gap between who Jesus is and who I am. Between the way that Jesus sees people and the way that I see people. Between the way that Jesus treats people and the way that I treat people. Between Jesus and who I would like to be and who I'm becoming. God is love. And it's a love powerful enough to rewrite the social order but also a love powerful enough to be personal. So you go from the shepherds in the field to Mary, who Luke tells us is treasuring up all these things in her heart. And you're like, what is that? She's reflecting on it. He uses the word pondered, and that word in the Greek can literally be to put into context. And so Mary, as a young Jewish girl, would have memorized the promises from Isaiah 7 of this Messiah be, coming into the world, being born of a virgin. And now she's looking around, and as she ponders and puts everything happening around her into context, she's holding this baby and realizing that that promise was for her. This massive promise has made it all the way to the arms of Mary, and it's very personal. The shepherds are marveling at the magnitude of God's love, and they're telling everyone, anyone that will listen, and people are kind of shocked, not only about the news, but who it's coming from. And then Mary is overwhelmed by the magnitude of God's love for her personally. And it's not just for Mary, but for anyone, John tells us, that would believe that this news is for them. 
And what's interesting is not only would Mary know the context of these promises of, of Jesus coming into the world, hundreds of years of silence and waiting, but the context of Isaiah 7, you can go read it on your own, is not peace, quiet, silent night in a manger. It's war and it's brokenness and it's heartache. In the middle of that is what God is introducing this Messiah into. It's almost like it's an invitation in the middle of our lives, our craziness, our busyness, to look up from the mess of the life around us and watch what's right in the middle of it. And so my question for you would be this morning, what, what are you worried about? What's keeping you up at night? What's got you fearful? What's got you working crazy hours trying to keep things in line? What's got, what's got you anxious? What's got this massive feeling of a burden on your back? What's got you feeling like a failure and eating you up on the inside? Because the story of Jesus in this moment is, is an invitation that there is a kind of life that outlives worry. There is a kind of love that overcomes fear. There is a kind of love where the burden is actually light and where victory washes over our failure. Emmanuel, God with us. And the invitation, friends, as we look at God as love, God with us, is can you see your story in the middle of this story? Can you see your story in light of this bigger story? The trouble with sin is it gets in the way of love. And God strips himself of everything but love because it's love, what is, it's love that will heal my heart and yours. Love is personal no matter how far-reaching and, and large it is. And so what if you realized that this story wasn't just for them, but it was for you and for me? And what if you've already realized it once in your life, but you need to realize it again? Because not only is God love and not only is he with us, but here's the fact of this story is that it's really easy to miss. It's really easy to miss. The greatest, loudest, biggest thing that's ever happened in human history was totally overlooked by most people. But what if this was for you? And what if you're the one that he's after? That's the invitation of Advent. It's why we pause for the month of December and we try to slow down and we enter into the practice of fasting to quiet things around us and even inside of us to see what's right in front of us. Is it a fairy tale? Is it good news? Because if it's a fairy tale, nothing changes. But if it's news, if it's good news, if it's good news for all people, then it changes everything. It's news powerful enough to heal, powerful enough to change the way that we live our lives and the way we find our worth. It's, it's big enough maybe to at least ponder and maybe receive. You remember um, how we started John's words, God is love, you guys remember that? Listen to the rest of John's words as he reflects on the Christmas story. This is how God showed or demonstrated his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That brokenness inside of us and outside of us, those problems we struggle with, God stepped into the pages of human history for you and I, not because we deserve it and we're good at coloring in the lines, but because he's love. 
you and I live most deeply from the stories that we believe. Some of us have really terrible stories, things that have happened in the past that have written our lives in a certain way, and it's like this deep brokenness that we, we live with, we walk with, and some, some of our stories have been shaped by things that happened to us in childhood or things that happened to us in school or things that people said over us, things that we believed or things that we, were, we never received that maybe would have just been basic human decency from parents that were present, whatever it is. So some of us, we carry around trauma and brokenness because of some of the stories that we believe. The stories, they get into us and they kind of sink their hooks into us. This is one of those stories that if you let it get into you, it'll sink its hooks into you for sure. But it won't bring trauma, it'll, be, it'll bring healing. It'll bring life and wholeness and joy and peace. It won't necessarily change the circumstances around you, although it could but it'll definitely change the way that you navigate the story in front of you. So maybe this is too good to believe. I think a lot of people struggle with that, that part of the good news, but I would say this, this, good, this good news, this news is too good not to share. It's too good not to ponder. It's too good not to let in. And so Advent is a season where we slow down and we stop and we let these hooks sink back into us and then it changes us to receive the love of God, to give the love of God. So let's take some next steps together. I'm gonna invite Daniel to come. As we press into practice again, we, we don't do really well with just some information, inspiration, and then we go about our weeks and days. We need community that takes this teaching and gives us accountability. We need practice that takes the things that we're inspired for in a moment and moves it into something we become. And so I would encourage you as we walk through this practice in just a moment, the things that you're gonna just consider to do over the next seven days, pull out your phone, pull out your journal, take the journals and seatbacks in front of you, pull out a pen, whatever it is. And I would encourage you to write down the thing or things that you're going to do this week as a result of this good news. Otherwise, if you're like me, you probably just forget it and by, by you know, lunchtime. So let's, let's, what, what could we do? Number one, join the Advent fast. Why? To create space in our hearts to slow down, to not miss the biggest, most important thing, not only that's ever happened in human history, but that's happening in my life and your life through the person and the work of Jesus. So your, op your options are Wednesdays and Fridays, right? No food, sun up to sundown, or to, which by the way is kind of nice because the days are shorter. <laughs> so, so like by four o'clock, it's time to have a snack. That's great. This is the time to fast that way, friends. Wednesdays and Fridays, no food, sun up to sundown, or remove distractions for 20 days. Or if you're like me, you can do both. Next week, I'm, I'm gonna talk a little bit on the practice of simplicity during this season to create more margin and space. Um, but I've already started practicing this, and so I'll be doing this Wednesday and Friday rhythm of fasting, sun up to sundown. So good news is, Christmas team party to, in two Fridays, guess what? It's over by the time we get there, so we still get to party. Yes, it's intentional. But I've also, I've already deleted all of my social media and email from my phone, and it's annoying and it's frustrating, and it's so good for my soul. I'm not saying you need that, I'm just saying do something over the next 20 days that creates margin in your life. But don't stop there. Keep up your practice in the scriptures and prayer. It's not swapping one practice for the other. We just finished that whole series on the scriptures and it's formational part of our lives. And so we, we do all these in tandem together. 
we still set aside time to be alone with Jesus and to hear from him in the scriptures and in through prayer. But then also I want to invite you to share it with your city group. It doesn't, it's just really easy to roll in on Wednesday morning and then just forget that you weren't supposed to have a granola bar. And then you're like, oh, well, I already messed it up there, so then I have lunch. And then just nothing happened. It's easy to let that happen over and over again. But if you invite community that's in your life around you to hold you accountable, that this is what I think God wants me to do, or this is what I want to try, then you'll find that you're way more accountable to that space. And, and listen, there's no, there's no issue in like trying something and even shifting it. One week you do one version and next week you do another. I mean, however you want to do it. The point is practicing accountability will shape us. Next up would be to consider the Christmas offering over the month. And again, really ask God, and we'll talk about this in a few weeks, of how the practice of generosity forms us and how it makes a difference around the world. Daniel and I were talking. He's like, you know, we say it all the time that, that you don't just give to a church, you give through a church. And, and that's true. And I love that we kind of have that pithy saying that lets you understand how generosity takes place in this community. But, but he's like, how cool is it to remember that like, we have kids in a feeding center in the Philippines that we actively serve through our generosity. We have friends in Pakistan that we actively serve through our generosity as they share the good news with people all across the world. We have partners all over the area. We have friends and neighbors and co-workers that are going to be served through Bryson and Sarah and their new team as they plant a church in Broomfield. I mean, this Wednesday, they're going to give coffee to a local school, and that's what the generosity of City Church does and way more than that. So it's just really cool to put, put all that into context and reflect and say, Jesus, thank you for letting me be a part of something bigger than myself. So I just invite you to pray and consider how God would have you be a part of that. And the last thing is invite others to join you for Christmas Eve at City Church. Statistically, over and over again, regardless of someone's spiritual affiliation and, and their background and all of that, over 80% of the people that say, hey, if someone invited you to join, uh, invited you to join them, like, like for a, a Christmas Eve service or a, an Easter service, would you come? And they say, yeah, I'd go. Which is wild, right? You're like, not my neighbors. <laughs> that ain't happening, right? I'd, you'd be surprised. So listen, listen. We say it all the time. Jesus probably has, uh, uh, people ha probably have a better chance of meeting Jesus at your kitchen table than they do at a weekend service. We gather as the church so that we can go live on mission with Jesus in the world around us. We're not hoping that everyone that's far from God walks into a weekend service and gets to hear eloquently about how Jesus loves them. We're hoping that they experience Jesus' love through you. And we're praying and living in that manner. And so don't, don't think that, okay, your only missional call in the month of December is to invite someone to Christmas Eve. No way. Go to the Christmas party. Have them over for dinner. Go rock climbing with your, like do all of those things and look for moments. Somebody in my city group this week, we were talking about like how, how God wants us to share his story, this good news, and our story with people. And Greg was like, well, I'm going skiing and, and people get stuck with me on ski lifts all the way up there, right? They can't, they can't, they can jump off, I guess. That's all they can do. He's, I'm going to share my story with someone on a ski lift. I'm like, let's go, dude. That's going to be amazing. So, right, whatever it is, this is not an excuse to do less. This is just one more way to meet people where they are. So do it all. But what's really, really cool is we invite you, hey, think about it. Who has God placed in your life that gets to be exposed to this good news, not only through you with your actions, but with your words? And as you identify those people and those names, then go out into the lobby, get an envelope, and write their name on it in your crappy handwriting. Danielle has incredible hand. I mean, it's like the best calligraphy ever. Mine looks like Grayson's is better than mine. My son writes better than me. It's rough. They're like, what does that say? You know, it's for you, I promise. 
put their name on an envelope, stick a card in it, and then seal it with a wax stamp. How cool is that? It's cool. It's really cool. And then you give it to them. That's, that's a pretty big deal that you would go out of your way to personalize and invite for someone that you care about. You're like, oh, well, I'm not here for Christmas Eve. Well, guess what? It's online too. So, you know what? If you go out of town and your family goes to a Christmas Eve service, that's cool. But right, if, if you're with your family and they don't do the church thing or whatever, then you could do a candlelight service in your living room, g- grab your like, favorite Bath and Body Works candle, light it up with your family. Meet people where they are. We exist to help people find their way to God from where they are. Jesus stepped out of heaven to earth to meet you and I where we are, and he invites us to join him to do the same for others. So if we let it, there is margin in this season to be had for our souls, and there is margin in this season to see what God is up to, and there's margin in this season to see God use us to make a difference in the lives of others. We're going to do this together. So we're going to respond with prayer and a couple different things, but um, I just want you to, again, write it down. What are you going to do? Write it down in your phone, send a text, whatever, so there's some teeth and accountability to what God is speaking to you about, okay? Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for the time that we've had today. Thank you for this team, uh, this family, this church. Thank you for our guests. Thank you for just the privilege of having a life-giving community here in Boulder. Thank you for the Christmas story that's more than a once upon a time, but it's news, and it's not just news, it's good news for all of us. God, thank you that that the more honest we are, the easier you can step in with not only a diagnosis, but healing. And God, we've all got problems inside of us and outside of us, and some of them we can control, some of them we're trying to manipulate, and some of them they are so far out of our control, we're scared. And we're hurting. We're broken. Others of us, there's, there's problems inside of us that are just running wild and it it's feels like it's killing us and it's breaking everything around us. And it's keeping us not only from receiving love, but giving love. So Jesus, would you help us to slow down? Not just to celebrate your coming, but to remember and to reflect and let it to influence our story let your love change us from the inside out. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, this is just a moment of personal reflection for everyone in the room as you listen to God. And maybe you're in the room and hearing this good news, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, but maybe for the first time, this good news is starting to get its hooks into your heart. In a good way, Maybe for the first time you're realizing this good news is for me. And I would invite you to consider not not just reflecting on it, but responding to it. That anyone who believes can receive love and forgiveness and new life, both now and forever with Jesus. And maybe today you take that step and say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me for my brokenness, for the brokenness inside and outside of me. I believe you were buried and rose again to give me new life. And today I want to start following you. And if that's becoming a reality in your heart this morning, I would just encourage you to let us know through a connection card. Because not only is heaven rejoicing, but we want to rejoice with you as well. 
For the rest of us as followers of Jesus, I would just encourage you, what are your next steps? Don't do it because you feel obligated, but what's the fast gonna look like for you? Are you gonna step into that practice? Who is God putting on your heart right now that you need to invite? How is God leading you to practice generosity and invest in the mission and vision of City Church? Whatever he tells you to do, I would encourage you to respond today. So God, thank you. As we sing, as we worship, as we pray in these next couple of minutes, would you continue to lead our hearts in response? Amen.